Well, I'm sure you all know who um, that is on piano. Um, Fats Domino, one of the legendary musicians uh, of all time in America and the world, um, who we all have to acknowledge in many ways put New Orleans on the map in a, in a, in a new way following the era of our traditional jazz. Um, he was, for me, the beginning of rock and roll. I'll never forget Blueberry Hill when I was in grade school. <laughs> and and um, I said, wow, what's that? And we were all singing Blueberry Hill, you know, on the streets of the Bronx. And um, he, he became a part of my life in all of his music, as, as he has been for so, so many people. So um, we're paying a little bit of tribute to him as we go into our show today. And um, we'll pay a tribute to him on the way out as well. Um, so this is Gene Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations. And um, our show is, is um, going to be largely today about music and about art. And um, I am so um, pleased and uh, privileged to have uh, two um, very notable um, singers in, in my presence who I, I guess singers is not a big enough word if you're singing opera because you're, you're um, theater people as well as, as singers. So I'm going to let you both introduce yourselves and, and, and say who you are. And you are playing in the uh, opera coming up, and I don't want to botch the pronunciation, and we were debating it on the way over, so I was saying um, Orpheus and Eurydice, Eurydice. Which one? We're going with Eurydice for this production. Eurydice, yeah. okay. And um, they're going to tell you all about this opera. This is such a fun opera, and it's so New Orleans because it is such a send-up of the gods and their um, uh, sort of alleged um, indiscretions and, and, and craziness and, and deceiving of each other. And um, it, it really is uh, a lot uh, of what we portray through our fantasies in our carnival parades here in New Orleans. And so this one is for us, guys. This is for New Orleans. So um, I have to make sure that we're all on the mic. So this, you have to talk into a mic here. Hello, over, hello. Make it, um, position it so that it's comfortable for How's you. How's that? Yeah, there we go. Is that good? Okay, introduce yourself. My name is Sarah Hershkowitz. And I am a coloratura soprano, originally from Los Angeles, California, um, but I've been living in Berlin. And this is my very first time in New Orleans, and I am so thrilled. I'm actually, believe it or not, this is my first time. I'm about to make my American debut. Wow. I've, I've never sung in my home country. I moved to Berlin out of undergrad. And I have been based in Europe singing there, and so this is now my first time singing in my home country. So I've got my whole family coming from all across the country. <laughs> so I'm going to have cousins and aunts and uncles well, all in the so audience. Well, that's so appropriate for New Orleans because, <laughs> as they say in New Orleans, we're all related. Yeah. We, we are all cousins. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, that's, 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 a, that's the right way to do it here. Absolutely. Mm. And, sir. My name is Casey Candabat, and I am singing Orpheus. Uh, I'm a tenor, and I'm from New Orleans. Yeah, you're a native son. I am. This is my 17th production with oh New Orleans Opera. Oh, my goodness. So how many years is that? Uh, my first one was in 2006. And so I think you were a very young person at that time, I was right? still in college, yeah. Yeah, so fantastic. 11 years ago. 
Right. Okay, guys. So, um, you know, I, I gave just a little bit of a, a, a very ham-handed, um, you know, amateur's description of, of uh, a very unique and special opera. So I'm going to ask you to um, do a little better job, um, remembering that a lot of our, our folks in the audience are not necessarily regular opera goers. Okay. And so one mm-hmm. of our objectives tonight is to get more people to come out for this because it is so resonant with the crazy culture of New Orleans. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head that it's a lot like Carnival. You know, it's very much like the tableau in the old balls because I don't know of any other opera where the gods revolt against Jupiter, the king of the gods. So to, to let's back up. The summary version is the actual Orpheus myth. Orpheus is a great musician who attracts Eurydice. Oh, my God. I was totally forgetting that we have a whole carnival parade. Called Orpheus. Dedicated Harry to Connick Jr.'s parade. by Harry Connick Jr. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so in, in the actual myth, you know, he's a great lyre player. He attracts Eurydice. Eurydice is stolen by Pluto, the god of hell, and Orpheus chases her down there to save her. That's the actual myth. And there's a very famous opera by Gluck and by Monteverdi set to that story. And, and Gluck and Monteverdi are really sort of mainstream, classical, opera, composers. Correct. Yeah. And what happened was Jacques Offenbach, who wrote this score, was just making fun of it. I mean, it's completely satirical. Rather than Orpheus, my character, being a great lyre player, I'm a terrible violin teacher. Uh, Eurydice, my wife. And play- Eurydice can't stand Eurydice him. can't stand me. She just she wants, wants to run away. She wants out of marriage. Uh, Pluto doesn't steal her as much as they just make a pact to go down to hell and have a party. And so, and and I'm ecstatic. Orpheus is absolutely elated when she's gone. And what the operetta does is uh, there's a character called Public Opinion, which is played by another New Orleans native. That's such a crazy, I mean, there you have all these gods with their Greek names, (laughs) and suddenly there's Public Opinion. Well, it's Explain that. It's great because what he did was Public Opinion is sort of like the Greek chorus. She's commenting on everything, but she's keeping Orpheus moral. You know, I'm uh, my character says I'm ready to run away with the local nymphette and I'm never going to come back. And she says, oh, no, you're not. You're a musician. You have to live to a higher standard. And so wow. she uh, – Public Opinion is being played by Jean-Michel Charbonnet, who's another local – Daughter, I should say Charbonnet. Yes, <laughs> slightly. Local. I don't think related to the prospective mayor, but uh, probably is. <laughs> probably, you're right. Jean Michel will literally drag me down to hell, kicking and screaming to save her. So, and also public opinion, I think, is very much. Uh, I mean, the whole, the whole um, deliciousness of of Orpheus in the underworld is how much of a send up it is, of how much he is making fun of uh, sort of this very stifled, stuffy comédie française that was taking place at the time and sort of all of these conventions um, of opera that are sort of uber serious. And uh, and so public opinion, so in a way, public opinion is like, is like the voice of uh, the convention, of saying, you know, it's basically comme il faut. It's 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 the the way of um, this is how you do things. 
rather than how you might actually be happy or might actually have a great time or might actually have a great life. Convention. It's convention, yeah. She, she's mm-hmm. sort of the Emily Post of yeah, the opera. Yes, you know, she's saying you must oh. do this. Yeah. And, and, and that's so funny because I the had Emily the opposite Post. idea of, of it. I thought maybe it was um, in some way sort of the common man rebelling against... No, in fact, what happens in this is that the gods are the one acting more like common men. So so oh. Cupid and Diana and Venus, they're all upset with Jupiter up on Mount Olympus because they want to go down to Earth and have a party and, and enjoy. And he's going, no, you can't do that. We're gods. We must stay elated and one of the, we must stay elevated. And one of the best numbers is one where they all go, but Papa, you did this. You turned into a swan and went and got Leda, and you turned into a bull and went and got Europa, and they just kind of go through all of mythology with everything Jupiter ever did wrong and and point out to him. And basically what happens at the end, he goes, okay, well, let's all go to hell. And, and the entirety of Mount <laughs> Olympus descends into the underworld, and by the time we get down there, we find Eurydice quite tired of her situation in hell. She thought she was going to have so much fun and she's bored to death down there. Why were you bored to death in hell? Well, Because I would think there would be all kinds of characters in hell. Well, that's what she's hoping. That's what she's hoping. But so far, in the beginning at least, it's extremely disappointing because she's been locked up. Here here she's finally gotten out of this of this dead end marriage to Orpheus. She just she just you know, he he makes her want to just pull her hair out. And finally she gets an escape. She goes to hell and she thinks it's gonna be this wild adventure. And basically Pluto just locks her into a room and she's sitting there bored out of her mind and she thought it was gonna she thought it was gonna be exciting and she's just sitting there locked up. Why was she why did he lock her up? Well Pluto needed to get up to Mount Olympus. Now, Pluto in, in mythology, is... It is the god, god of, the of the underworld. underworld. Right. Mm-hmm. And so basically, the, this opera is more than a love triangle. You've, you've got Orpheus and Eurydice. You have Pluto and Eurydice. And then what happens is Jupiter goes, well, if she's worthy of being stolen and dragged down to hell, I want her too. So you have this dichotomy of the three men all going for the same woman. And after Pluto locks her up, he goes up to Mount Olympus to deny the, this accusation. I never stole her. This never happened. And they basically find, yes, you did. And they all go down to hell to investigate. And that's when Jupiter finally sets eyes on her. Right. And then what happens? Well, Jupiter <laughs> Jupiter uh, gets transformed into... That's another thing that was... Uh, I noticed that in the little uh, summary of it, this, these constant transformations, which, again, is something we're awfully good at here in right. New Orleans. Well, because she's locked up, Jupiter can't get into the room. So what happens is Cupid, who's played by another local, Angela Menino, um, Cupid turns him into a fly. He flies in through the keyhole and seduces her as a fly. As a fly. And one of the most charming duets is the fly duet. Well, how do you seduce a woman as a Harvey Weinstein? Yeah. True words were never spoken. son of a gun. Go ahead. Truer words. Right. Really honestly. Perhaps he didn't sing the fly duet correctly, maybe. Oh, I think he would need a lot more than a fly duet between you and me. Let's be honest. Yeah, he transforms himself into a fly, and he actually asks that exact question that you just asked. He said, a fly... Who's ever going to fall in love with a fly? But Eurydice is completely. He must have. He must have uh, uh, put some very fancy um, words out to her. 
That, that's about all he says. The baritone literally only says, says the entire duet. And Eurydice is just going, come closer. But come he's, closer, he's come truly closer. a New Orleans-sized fly. She, she, he's huge. She, she is attracted to a zzz. Exactly. She's, she's but she must have been really desperate. <laughs> I guess anything to get out of that room that's that right. she's in, right? He's a hell of a sexy fly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> All right. I, I, so, uh, yeah. This is the, sure. the fly seduction duet. Well, it's flies, very charming. flies must be pretty damn sexy because they're quite a load of them. Right. Right. So, yeah. they And, and uh, I don't know. We've studied the sex life of flies left and right, right? That's something that we spent a lot. No, it's true. A lot of the, Amy is in the, in the engineer's booth is looking at me like I'm crazy. We <laughs> think about it. There's been a ton of research done on the sex life of flies. It's true. Well, maybe Offenbach knew about this. Maybe. I doubt <laughs> I it. But I, I don't <laughs> think there was. One of the best parts is she falls in love with the fly, and then he reveals himself to be Jupiter, God of heaven the sea and all of the clouds and he goes are you impressed now and she just kind of stares blankly at him you know uh, she, <laughs> so, she, so the charm is off the charm is off because once the buzzing the has stopped he opened his mouth and suddenly he's not quite as right, charming right. <laughs> reveals himself to be just an ordinary guy right you know. yeah now okay. you know i have to ask you because there's so much um it's amazing really isn't it that what is this now? Two thousand years at least. I don't know. I don't. I, I, I know I don't have my history uh, line correct here. Since people developed all of these legends of the of the gods. Oh, probably more and than here that. Here we yeah. are still in the twenty first century talking about them. It's amazing. So you know, I always say Jesus must have been one serious character <laughs> to develop the following that he still has again 2,000 years later okay so the Greek um, gods have to be quite a bit older than 2,000 so they've got a, around 8,000 I yeah. think yeah. you think so yeah. about 8,000 years and here we are still talking about these mythical characters who were totally made up by people who were trying to persuade everybody else that they had to pay attention to what was going on with the gods. They took that stuff seriously you at know, some but, point, right? Know, Sarah and I were saying today, I think every time you swipe right on Tinder, you're hoping Cupid's going to help you a little bit. So, Definitely. you know, they're still around, just an app form now. They're, they're, they're not actual deities. They're iPhone apps now. Oh, my goodness. What a thought. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so... Give me a little. Don't give the whole story away in the end, but uh, give me just a little bit more plot. So, well, we're pretty close to the end now. Okay, we're I mean, in hell. We're in hell, and everybody shows up, and you know, you kind of eventually get to the crux of everybody's here. What's going on? And everyone gets caught, sort of, with their pants down. And so everybody gets revealed. Everyone gets revealed, as is a typical opera convention, and public opinion comes in and says, "Okay, well." Humans are expecting this, so you must do X, Y, Z, and and then we kind of wrap it up. One of the beautiful things about this production, which is being done by Alison Moritz, we're setting it in the 1950s. Oh, and the I reason love for, operas that are that are placed in a different time. Sometimes period. they can work, sometimes they can't. You know, if we would have all been in togas and and you know Bacchus would have had grapes dripping around him, I don't know if it quite would have worked because this is less about the gods and more about human action. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. having it in the 50s, one of the last, supposedly one of the last periods where women were chained to their kitchen, but right. some people still think they should be. Um, but this provides a very, a very um, 
it's it's a perfect atmosphere for for Eurydice because of course she's she starts the the opera she's trying so hard and and I see her I see her as kind of a Lucille Ball kind of character where she's just trying so hard to be a good housewife she really she really wants to do a good job and she's just not cut out for it so she just messes everything <laughs> up everything she tries to do just is is it like a fiasco she tries to serve a good breakfast she 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 pours the milk onto the floor instead of in the cereal um uh so it's this push pull between uh, uh, trying to do it well and not really succeeding and and eventually she breaks away from it entirely and says you know what I give Screw up. Screw this. I, yeah. I, it's it's sort of like I Love Lucy meets the Honeymooners. It's, it's definitely the combination <laughs> of the I two. I Love Lucy meets a, the, bra, the bra burning, you know, uh, you know. Uh, well, yeah, by the time we finish our first duet, she's definitely Gloria Steinman, Steinem and, Steinem, I'm, yeah. and I'm McCarthy. Yeah. By, wow. by the end of the duet. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I'm loving this. Okay. So this is happening. Dates? November 10th at 8 o'clock and November 12th at 2.30 at the Mahalia Jackson. At the Mahalia Jackson. Right. And I, I, honestly, I know guys out there, a lot of you have probably you know, never been to an opera, could care less about opera, but this is the opera that you should experience to open your eyes to this whole genre because it is so New Orleans. You're going to go and you're going to feel at home. And we're singing it in are. English rather than in oh, French. So fantastic. that will make it easier. Yeah. We've updated some of the references to make them, you know, more accessible to people. Okay. Um, we're setting it in the 50s. I mean, I think it's I think it's one that everyone can really get around. And it's one of the few, you know, operas usually you sing everything. This is an operetta, so we actually have spoken dialogue in between the numbers. I see. Right. So, so it's kind of a, a halfway between opera and musical. Correct. Correct. Okay. Now. Um, I just uh, have a little time left with you all, so I want to hear about you. Because another thing that I think is so frustrating, and, and we're going to have in the second half of the show, Giovanna Joseph is going to be on, who is with the um, Opera Creole. And um, I I'm, I'm just saw the most magnificent production that her company just put on at the Music Box with African-American singers. And, you know, you don't think about African-American singers as much as others because – they probably initially don't think of that as an opportunity. What made you think of being an opera singer and pursuing it, each of you? Well, I started, like so, I think like so many of us, I started singing in choir. Mm -hmm. and um, Which is true also in the African-American community. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, no one in my family is, is a musician. I, I, uh, I have a great aunt who I never met who was an opera singer. And, really? um, and I have various actors in this family, but in my immediate family, I'm the only one. And so I started singing in choir and that kind of let, that was sort of like the gateway drug. I think for most. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, same it thing. Is. Choir is our gateway drug. And then you sort of realize, I had no idea particularly that I could sing. And, and then suddenly it turned out that I could. And, and that led to doing sort of these youth competitions that one does. Um, but actually, my debut, my the first time I ever sang in public, was um, I played guitar and wrote songs from the age of uh, about 12 to 22. Oh, I was wow. a singer-songwriter, uh -huh. and so um, I w my first performances were on the Venice Beach Boardwalk. That's where I grew up. <laughs> I took my guitar and I opened that guitar on the boardwalk. The Venice Beach Boardwalk, by the way, guys, is the closest thing to Bourbon Street on the West Coast. <laughs> right, that's what I've heard. Yeah. So I had I was there as a teenager singing. Joni Mitchell songs on the boardwalk. Oh. When I turned 17, 
when I, I realized I wanted to be an opera singer. And I started singing 17th century Italian art songs in a green velvet gown <laughs> on the boardwalk with all the Rastafarians you're, selling incense and marijuana. You're kidding. And my father cruised Wait, around you, me. You, you, you sang a cappella? I sang a cappella art songs Opera in Italian. on the yeah. Venice. Do you have a picture of that? My, I'm sure my parents do somewhere, but it was very funny uh, because... I need a picture of that from my newsletter for next week. I'll try to find one for you, but my dad would cruise around because he was at a, at a respectful distance because he was not going to let anybody mess with me. So, sure. it, so I had the hat there and I was singing and it would get, you know, there, there can be some rough people on the boardwalk. Yeah. So he just stood there. Did you make out well? Did you do well in your chest? I actually did. I mean, for being 17, you know, babysitting. So You know, you can always grab a box and go down to Bourbon while you're here. Thanks. Hey, listen, we have some very noted musicians who play um, either Royal or Bourbon Street. um, How's your tapping skills? My tapping skills? (laughs) I could work on them. We have a tradition of, of... Young boys putting bottle caps on the bottom of their shoes and tapping. And yeah. They're usually very good. Oh, you mean tap dancing? Tap dancing. Tap dancing. Oh, I could, t- I could totally. Well, I'd have to brush up on it. But, right. You did but, tap. You know, I did do You it. know, I was a dancer. That was my art form as a young um, woman. Uh, but I could not t- tap to save my life. Tap and I, I'm rhythmically inclined. I mean, I'm a good social dancer, but I just I just couldn't get the knack of it. I just I just. I don't know. It's just one of those things. You know, you either can or can't do something, and that was You have to have loose ankles for that. Is that what? You know, actually, one of my ankles is fused. That could be. I wonder if that contributed to it. Interesting. So you, how did you get? So I uh, went to Catholic school in New Orleans, as so many did, and there was a nun there that said they're starting a choir at St. Louis Cathedral. You should go Ooh, try out. Let's go to the St. Louis. So, so I, I went down no to... neighborhood th- stuff for him. I went down to the quarter, and uh, Drew Montague was just starting a boy choir, and I started, and I was a boy soprano from age 7 till 16. Wow. And I knew I wanted to keep singing, but when I went to college, opera wasn't even anything I ever thought of. And there was an audition post. I went to Loyola University for undergrad. And there was a sign on the door saying, we're doing Romeo and Juliet. We're going to have auditions. Well, my freshman year was Katrina. So oh that kind of knocked everything out of out of whack. Uh, I got sent to a school in Denver, Colorado called Regis University, which is a beautiful school, very small. And by the time I got there, they really didn't have anything for me to do. They said, we don't have a music major. We don't. We barely have a music department. What can we do for you? So I showed them my class list of what I was going to take, and they gave me one-on-one teaching for all of those classes for the most part. I had theory with one woman. I had piano with one woman, languages with one woman. It was a wonderful thing. I mean, the voice teacher was a woman named Rebecca Kennigberg who was a singer at Opera Colorado, and she came over to teach me. And when I got back to New Orleans after that one semester, I said, I definitely want to do this. And they were still doing Romeo and Juliet. I walked in. Didn't really think what you should wear to audition. I didn't do the whole green velvet. I went in in blue jeans and a sweater and sang something from the Messiah and one of those old 17th century yep. songs. Yep. And they cast me right then and there. And, I, you know, I've that very next year I started singing professionally. Okay. What I'm uh, both of your stories are just fabulous. I'm just uh, I love them, and, and I'm not surprised at all because I think to become an opera singer, and I'm gonna I can't wait to hear Giovanna's com- 
comments on this. It, there has to be some kind of a really quirky moment in your life that takes you there, right? Mm -hmm. So Venice Boardwalk in one case and individualized teaching in the <laughs> other. My goodness. Okay. But now, okay, now kill me, kill me. Can I ask you both to sing just a little snippet of something from the opera? Are you going to kill me for that? <laughs> what the, there's not really well, much that's like, extractable. I mean, um, let's see here. What's extractable? Uh, can you think of anything? Uh, not, not really. I'm not that's the top the of my head. I'm like, where is it? Oh, come um, on. <laughs> um, we just staged our duet today, and it's going out of my head right now as I'm I sitting know, here. I know, same here. I'm like, oh, did we bring our score? I didn't bring my score. I didn't bring my score either. Uh, oh, no. You'll just have to wait to until You'll the 10. You'll have to come. We'll have oh, to lure you. <laughs> not fair at all. So I'm going to ask our carrot. Jazz, you have to go into YouTube and see if you can get just a snippet of it that I'll play towards the end of the show. But anyway, okay, this is a great Opera. I'm excited about going to see it. And, you know, my whole background, in I, I'm, I'm a lover of all kinds of music, and I was awakened Saturday mornings on a regular basis by my father playing either Louis Armstrong music or South Pacific <laughs> or some other musical. And, you know, when you're a teenager and you want to sleep until noon, <laughs> I wanted to kill him. But he did expose me to a lot of music, and, and, and not opera. My very first Broadway play was, and la one of, I ha I'm not a big Broadway person, but he took me to West Side Story, the original which production is of it. Yeah. Which was, you know. And we're celebrating Leonard the 100th birthday of Lenny. So. I know, I know. 2018. Right? Right. So, okay, once again, the date? November 10th and 12th. And 12th. 8 o'clock and 2.30 at the Mahalia Jackson's Center of the Performing Arts, I think is what it's officially okay. called now. How can people buy tickets? They can go to neworleansopera.org. Neworleansopera.org. Guys, give yourself a break and do something different. And they're not terribly expensive. They start at $25. You're kidding. Yeah, $25. Oh, my God. And you have really any is idea how much you pay for opera tickets? I mean, it's, it's more expensive to go to a Saints game by far. You know? I went to, on my honeymoon... One of the places we went was Vienna, and we were staying at a hotel, the Sacre, Sacre something hotel, that was right across from the opera, the Venus opera, and they were doing Don Giovanni. So we asked the concierge to get us tickets. $400 later. God. <laughs> we have those seats, should you feel so inclined. Oh, but I think okay. they start at 25 That's fabulous. Okay. Thank you both very much for coming. Thank you. Thank you so this much. This was for a lot of fun. I'm never going to forget that you wouldn't sing for me. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to the performance. Thank you. Sorry, and I'm going to so ask my next guests to uh, put themselves a uh, second line here into the studio so we can continue. And um, this is an all art show, and I do a few of those. And so we're going to continue and talk about. Other things that are going on in the arts in New Orleans and how we need to better support them with an election coming up, you know? And you better be sure and get out and vote. Oh, I voted last time, and I'll vote and next time as well. And look, art votes, that's my button that I wear all the time, and make sure that um, all your friends get out and vote and tell them to call the candidates, literally, I mean this, call the candidates and tell them how important it is for our city to do better in supporting what's going on in this creative city. Most definitely. Okay? Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, guys. All right. We're going to segue to um, 
Uh, what am I, you know, these gals, both of these gals have actually been here in this studio now several times. Amy Smallwood, who is the executive director of the Louisiana Cultural Economy Foundation. Oh. <laughs> I got somebody to sing. And it was really bad. <laughs> oh, you should hear me. I have a beautiful voice. There's only one problem with it. I sing off key. <laughs> So I have friends who, when I try to sing, say, um, Jean. Javada <laughs> <laughs> Joseph, who is the um, musical director, executive director for the um, Opera Creole. And I'm telling you, the performance that was at the music box, I'm sorry you didn't see it. I know, Amy. I'm really kicking myself. It was <laughs> so spectacular. The talent was great. The production was great. The costumes were great. Can you all do it again? And the oh, setting, the oh, setting of the music box yeah. for it is, wow, what a perfect place to, to do something like um, the uh, opera, which was... Tremanisha. And the whole thing about Tremanisha is that it was written by Scott Joplin, performed very few times. I actually um, hesitated for a moment uh, when I wrote the newsletter mm -hmm. to remember. I know that Houston, it was performed in Houston. Yes. Where else? Oh, goodness. New uh, York, maybe? I think New York did it. I, um, I want to say that. The last time in New Orleans was... Uh, um, 2004, that Xavier did it at the oh, Scottish Rite uh, Temple. Yeah. Oh, that must have been great too. Yeah. I didn't yeah. get to go to that. No. I'm sorry that I didn't. But yeah, it doesn't get it doesn't get performed very often. And it's a beautiful opera. Yeah. It really it's is. It's, it's um the and, and it's interesting because in the the theme of it, uh, my takeaway. Mm -hmm. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm thinking Scott Joplin and the era that he lived in. And I saw a real tension between um, the conventions of society in general and the African roots of mm. the people in the production. And I felt that he was trying to, in a sense, warn African Americans mm -hmm. against being... Um, dominated by uh, old um, voodoo mm -hmm. and um, other, let's say, occult mm -hmm. um, practices and beliefs. And he, he's kind of saying, you know, um, shake that off. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong? Yeah, that was that was part of it. Is sure. that is that the theme? Because I didn't of, read about it when I went to see it. Yeah, of getting getting past the old and moving into the new, and especially moving into education. Yeah, those were two two big things. Right, of because yeah. Tremanisha mm -hmm. is an educator. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. she gets stolen away at one <laughs> point, not unrelated to what we were just talking about with the Orpheus and Eurydice mm -hmm. theme. She gets stolen away by the bad guys, the bad people, mm -hmm. um, and she eventually gets rescued. Um, and I didn't completely understand the character of the person who rescues her because mm -hmm. he had a relationship with her, but what was the relationship? That wasn't clear to me. Uh, I think it was a love relationship, uh, maybe more on his part. It had not been quite um, cultivated yet, but I think it was a real love and respect for mm -hmm. her that he had, and mm -hmm. he, he felt uh, very much that he needed to protect her and look after her, even I, though I she was strong on her own 
person. Right. Yeah. I, I sense that love and respect. Yeah. But I wasn't. It wasn't clear to me that it was a conventional. Right. A love relationship. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful opera, and um, mm-hmm. it really should be performed more. Mm-hmm. And so, speaking of that, one of the reasons why it is not performed more, and we don't have more performances in general. <laughs> Is that uh, I'm no I'm sorry. There, those of you in the audience who've heard me talk about this before, it's kind of a broken record. But um, we're in an election cycle right now that is profoundly important because New Orleans has a tendency to be on the cusp of things, mm-hmm. and too many times we have kind of let that boat leave the dock without getting on it, and so. Um, Right now, I feel like there's so much activity going on in the arts in New Orleans, whether it's visual, performing, architectural, culinary, um, all. Festivals. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the festivals. I mean, there's a macaroni and cheese festival now. Yeah. That, that one I couldn't believe. I think soon we're going to have a salt and pepper festival. <laughs> uh, right. The festivals. There's so much going on. But we are still so lacking in um, financial mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. and not just funds and grants, but investment, both from both the public and the private sector. So we everybody talks the talk here on the mm-hmm. arts, mm-hmm. but there just is not enough walking the walk. Mm-hmm. And so the tourism industry promotes New Orleans as a cultural mecca, but we're not getting really our share of the tourism dollar. They can say that they're bringing the people here, but getting those people here from Bourbon Street to yeah. our little theaters and galleries yeah. and, and venues around the city is another story, and that yeah. takes more funding. Yeah. And so this afternoon, guys, we had, a, we had a meeting of a group of people, just kind of a you know, not of a highly selected group, just folks who were available at short notice to talk about sending a message to the candidates who were still running in the runoff, to the electeds who have been elected, um, asking them, can we, going forward in this new administration, in this new cycle of city government, can we find a way to be more supportive of the arts? Mm -hmm. So I'd like to hear from both of you about some of the ideas that were thrown around, and, and 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 guys out there in the audience, please, I really do mean this. Call the candidates that you have some kind of a relationship with. They might have been your neighbor. You might be related to them. You might have worked for them. You, just, we all know each other in, in this town. So you know, uh, who doesn't have a connection with a Charbonnet, right? <laughs> and 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 who hasn't passed through Latoya Cantrell's office? Right, and, and um, yeah. the uh, the New Orleans East race coming up. Um, you know, we have a brand new gal on the scene and somebody who's been around for a while. You, you know these folks. Mm-hmm. Talk to them about the importance of recognizing how essential the creative community and economy is to the future of New Orleans. Having uh, That's my little soapbox. Yeah. Now, uh, I just you guys, you know, share your feelings and thoughts about it. Well, I think you know this one of the things. Amy. One of the things that we all agreed on today is that um, we know there's a lot more creatives out there that aren't being counted um, because the the ways we count our uh, folks and our and quantify our cultural economy are pretty traditional. 
and mm-hmm. this is not a traditional city. And we know that many, many, many families have contributors, economic contributors, uh, from all different parts of the cultural economy. And our our definition, um, I think we all share this definition, is pretty is a pretty broad one, mm-hmm. and it is the things that make uh, Louisiana and New Orleans unique. And that's why we include the the uh, culinary arts in our definition because our culinary arts, our recipes, our works of art, works of art, and 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 they're so culturally based. Yeah. So um, you know we we really feel like the first step um, to getting some additional funding to support the cultural industries is to quantify Mm -hmm. the cultural industries and to determine what percentage of our economy it truly is. Because it's hard to convince folks of the importance of putting money into it unless they know what it is. And and I hear all the time that creatives are going to create because they must. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry. They must have a job. They must (laughs) make a living. They have to feed themselves and their families. They have to pay rent. They have yeah. to pay mortgages. They have to pay for cars. This is, it's not, they're not here for all of our benefits, and they're not out in the street playing music for uh, just for fun. Yeah. They're doing it because they've got to have an, a revenue stream. Yeah. And um, I, frankly, I'm, I, I think it's time for us to put our our, money's, our money where our mouths are mm-hmm. and, um, and, and get serious about supporting the, the culture bearers and the creatives that we have capitalized on for so long. And, and you know, again, this, as I say, I, 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 I don't think I miss a show without making this point. But the reason right now it's so important for us to talk about it is because I do think this election is a change point. I think it's mm-hmm. – um, we have a terrific new council – Coming on, I think that everybody who's going to be on this council finally is going to be somebody who I believe that we can talk to and get greater support. And either one of the two women running, women, women, women power, you go girls, <laughs> are, 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 are going to be much more open yeah. to supporting the arts. I know Latoya Cantrell has been sitting on the New Orleans Tourism Marketing Corporation and has really been... Um, She's gotten a lot of exposure uh, to what's going on with culture, and I'm, I'm certain that she's a, a strong supporter. And I think that um, Desiree Charbonnet uh, comes from a family that, you know, again, they're, they're just, their reach through the community is extensive. And her work with youth in the, in the courts mm-hmm. certainly speaks to her ability to appreciate the importance of the future for all of us. So, Giovanna, what did you take away from today's discussion? Well, one of the things that, that we... Um, talked about and the thing that keeps going on in my head is this is a city like none other in the world and people come from all over the world to come here to make music because of the reputation I know I have a friend that's coming in from Paris with a, with a group to, to record some things and um, we just tend to take it for granted you know like we're surrounded by water so we take water for granted we're surrounded by music we take music for granted um, as we are moving into this tricentennial year, 
Um, and the arts will be a big part of telling the history of the city. We need to make some good decisions to move forward to really honor the arts community uh, in terms of helping people to make a living. There are lots of us, in my case, Opera Creole is very much uh, research-based. I spend a lot of time looking up things that have never been performed before, things that are in the artist's original handwriting, things that I have to you know, spend the time on, work on, figure out how to market it, the language to market it. I don't have a budget to pay a marketing person, so I've got to do that in my head and hope that people will, it will resonate. And, and you've been actually remarkably successful at marketing, but that's one of the key areas that mm -hmm. I think we need a lot more support in. If we had more dollars to market our performances, yeah. our exhibitions, our venues, our, our artists, um, it would be so much easier for people to, ha to generate that revenue stream. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's, there's a for-profit side of this as well. A lot of our creatives operate as businesses or mm -hmm. are legally businesses, mm -hmm. and we want them to do that. We want them to be successful and build their own revenue streams, mm -hmm. and having resources that are available to them as entrepreneurs that they are is really critical. And you know, we know that the city is very challenged with raising those kinds of funds on a, on a broad basis. And, um, and I think this is something that we can challenge our candidates to help with. Yeah. And if there's a way to, someone was talking about the people that come in on the boats and how they come and they, the they go ships. to the cruise ships and yep. they go to you know, select areas downtown, but a way to get them the information so that but they can come out, out the to the neighborhoods mm -hmm. and the theaters and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, an example, and I, I know that the, those tourists come in and will be interested, uh, our production back in May, um, a guy was sitting in his hotel room, he just happened to open his computer and uh, the New Yorker article about us popped up on his computer. I didn't know there was a New Yorker article yeah. about you. How did yeah. you pull that off? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's great. But he, it just came up on his computer, and after reading it, he called a cab and came down to the Marini Opera House. Wow. So I know that if yeah. they know what's out there, right. they would exactly. be very interested. Hence, hence the need for marketing and exposure. Yes, yes. 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 And, um, you know, I, I've long said that we basically need to have some kind of um, uh, structure similar to the New Orleans Tourism Marketing Corporation, mm -hmm. which... Um, they co collect a surcharge on the hotel rooms, and they generate a few million dollars a year, and they get out, and um, it, I, so how much, uh, Amy? Oh, she's she's showing sure her thumb. way more than a few million Well, it, you know, it's when they first started out, I, I know it was a few million, and I know that recently they got some kind of a change in the programming from the legislature, and yes, they do have a lot more than that. And by the way, we... we I'm not going to be ungrateful for the support that I've gotten and others have gotten, but it needs to be so much more. Well, I mean, you know what? I think part of our feeling about that is based on the fact that many cities across the country use a portion of their um, hotel motel tax funds to support um, culture in their cities mm -hmm. because, of course, they're very linked um, without one, you can't have the other. Right. So um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's very, very hard to backtrack on something like that when our city has not done that, mm -hmm. um, which is, again, why we feel that it's important to identify a new source of revenue to be able to support 
arts and culture in the city in the way that other cities do. Even St. Louis, we talked about that today. Can you repeat that? Million. I mean, it's just a, a St. Louis, Missouri, which has a musical um, uh, legacy. They, they're, they're not to be sniffed at. Um, but they, um, they went out and got a property millage passed for the arts. It generates $40 million a year. We are happy with about $500,000, which doesn't go very far. It winds up generating about little $1,500 and $2,000 grants to organizations. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, a $1,500 or $2,000 grant, it doesn't get you anywhere. It just yeah. doesn't. You have to have sustainable income to keep an organization going, to yeah. keep your staff going, to pay for your promotion, to pay for productions. It, it's it's just plain not it, enough. It leads We're to... We're 39th. We're 39th in America oh. in arts funding. That's the city of New Orleans, considered yeah. by many to be one of the cultural meccas of the globe. Yeah. We changed culture. I know, I'm so, I've, I've said this too many times. But we changed culture in the 20th century mm -hmm. with the music that came out of New Orleans, the jazz, set off a whole chain reaction yeah. of cultural developments. Yeah. yeah, well, and it leads to us doing things in a a way that is less professional mm -hmm. and uh, keeps us um, smaller, keeps mm -hmm. us from growing. And I think the music industry is a great example of that. We're really strong in presentation of our music. We're not strong in developing folks as business professionals. Yes. We ought to be on the map with Nashville yes. and, um, and, and be as big a producer as yes. Nashville. And I think that... Um, that's another suggestion that can be made and probably will be made by Music Swings votes to our candidates. But, um, you know, we, we have so much talent here. Mm -hmm. We have composers. Mm -hmm. We have songwriters. We have folks here who live part-time in other cities and write and contribute to their cultural economy. Um, they can't support themselves here yeah. in the same way. So it's very important for us to look we, at this we, from a macro yeah, view. Yeah, we, we have people who write scores for major films. I mean, Terrence Blanchard is yeah. a perfect example. Jay Weigel. Jay Weigel. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, needless to say, Winton and, um, and, and so many others are, mm -hmm. are, in, are, are producing things that have effect nationally. But, um, again, if they were dependent totally on income from New Orleans, yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't be happening yeah. at all. Yeah. What is next online for um, for a, a Opera Creole? Well, we have uh, something that will bring several worlds together. It's Thursday, November 9th. It will be our fundraising gala at the uh, Marini Opera House. It is a concert of classical and jazz music. And we are um, honoring... I love that combination. That's going to be great. We're honoring um, the Pythian, uh, which was recently uh, renovated on, on Loyola. Um, and we know that the Pythian Temple, they, there was classical concerts presented in their theater there. And also the rooftop garden was a very social place for a lot of oh, jazz. I, I missed that when we were talking about this earlier. At that particular building. At that building, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And, uh, now I understand. I've sang for the, the, the reopening and the, and the plaque uh, dedication. And so it came to my, my daughter's co-founder, Aria Mason of Opera Creole. And she really uh, brought this back to light when we were thinking about 
our uh, event. So it will be celebrating the 20s and, and Roaring 20s attire fun. is encouraged. So it will be fun with some refreshments. Um, in addition to opera Creole uh, singers, our, our lead tenors coming back from Germany, Tyrone Chambers. Uh, we will have um, jazz singers. Uh, we'll have Don Bappy and John Boutte and nice. Anna East, uh, will be joining us. And so it's really going to be fun. We're excited about it. And it's a fundraiser. Yes, uh-huh. and it's and it's not an it's not an expensive fundraiser. It's fifty a ticket. Fifty dollars yeah. is that's fair. That's I mean, very fair. Yeah. Really, I mean, you know, there next year it needs to go up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just we just uh, we're just uh, so excited by the support we've received from New Orleans. You know, we're six years old, but from the very beginning, people have embraced us, and people like you have been very good to us, and it's it's been quite a blessing. And so let's put that date out there one more time. November 9th. It's a Thursday night from 7 to 9.30. At the? Marini Opera House. And the Marini Opera House, y'all, is in in the Bywater. Do you have a street address by any chance? Do you remember Um, it? We can look it up. It's, um, ooh, I should know. Sounds wonderful. (laughs) Um, And Amy, what about you? What are you up to? I can't think of the address offhand. Well, the Louisiana Cultural Economy Foundation continues to operate the uh, Culture Up Incubator in partnership with the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. We have office space for creatives um, in a beautiful downtown building. And um, along with it comes a great deal of free training that we do with other partners. Um, We've just finished up a boot camp for uh, marketing for small businesses in the creative industries. And um, we have mentors that are available to our folks. So, uh, and we have space right now for about six more um, small businesses or small organizations or creatives. It can be individuals as well. Um, we also have uh, continue to have a wonderful loan program, up, loans of up to ten thousand dollars for small businesses or individuals who have needs that will help build their revenue streams. See, that kind of a program is, is the kind of thing we need more of. That's, that's, a, well, that's a really I'm important here to opportunity say for people. We have the money, and it is available to folks in greater New Orleans and in Acadiana. So come get it. And um, so how, how, what, what, is, what should somebody do to, to get well, into Well, you can check out the info on our website, which is culturaleconomy.org, um, or you can just call me at 504-895-2800. 895-2800. Yes, and I will walk you through the process. It's pretty simple. It's a low-interest loan. They're easier to get than a bank loan. Mm-hmm. And our point is not just to help um, folks to get the money they need for their projects. We also include some training with it. And we hope that at the end of this um, this process, once you have paid the money back, you will have had a good experience with borrowing so that you can go to a traditional oh, bank good point. and get a loan. Right. Yeah. You, you so will have um, paid right. your loan, and that's yes. uh, that's what banks look for yes. uh, in when they want to uh, decide whether they should lend to you or not. Yes. Have you paid your loans in the it's past? It's hard to get that first loan. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, creatives have, you know, income sources that are um, often in cash or, you know, from different places and yeah. self-employed. Yeah, um, banks are a little wary of that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, um, I promise you, we have some money and we want to lend it out. So, give us a call. Number again: five zero four eight nine five twenty eight hundred. 
The Marini Opera House is at 725 mm-hmm. St. Ferdinand Street. Yes. Right in the heart of, is it, it, well, it's in Marini. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, is it in Bywater or Marini? It's in mm-hmm. Marini. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's a beautiful church. It really is. It's a is. great setting for um, yeah. your party and for performances. And they do actually stage a lot of operas there as well, yeah. and as well as dances and, and other kinds of benefits. Exactly. And Jean, before, I, before we finish, I do want to mention that our, our funding partner for our small loans is the Foundation for Louisiana. And um, this is very much their mission to get these funds out there into the hands of folks who need it. I need to have one of them come on the show. Um, I was actually involved in the founding of that organization. Way back, after, right after Katrina? Right after Katrina. Wow. Um, it was a guy that I was working with on the um, America's Wetland um, who was responsible for uh, doing the initial work on it, and so I was very much involved in, in and, and I and I'm really not that much in touch with um, what it's doing now. Flozell Daniels, of course, is is the um, executive director, and I, I need to have him on the show and, and talk he'd, about what the opportunities are. He'd be a, a are great guest. I, I want to leave enough time uh, to play um, uh, a, a kind of tribute song. For fats coming out of the show, ladies, I'm welcoming. You don't want me to sing it. (laughs) 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 Um, uh, Blue Heaven. Now listen, hey jazz. There's a version of it that was done by who's that singer? Who's the the daughter of Ravi Shankar? Who's a jazz singer? Oh, uh, jazz. Do you know who I mean? So it's on that album that they did a tribute to Fats Domino, and she sang it, and she has this kind of whispery voice. Aww. Oh, gosh, I, I, I'm dying that I can't remember her name, but that would be the version I would love to go out with as a kind of tribute to, we thought Fats would be with us forever, didn't we, yeah. guys? Yeah. Just like yeah. we thought Alan Toussaint was yeah. going to be with us forever. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm so sorry that um, we And ha- they will be in their music. Yes, Nora, Nora Jones. Jones. Nora thank Jones. you, thank oh, you, thank you. Um, so, oh. G, this is Jean Nathan. It's Cross Town Conversations. Y'all, listen, call the people you know who are running for office or who just got elected and tell them we need more support for the arts. I'll talk with you next week. When Goodbye, Fats. And evening is nigh. I hurry to my blue Just to turn to the right To find a little white light Will lead you to my blue heaven You see a smiling face A fireplace, a cozy room A little nest that nestles where the roses bloom just Molly and me and the baby makes three we're happy in